Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on July 8, 2020. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast. This evening, we're talking with Representative Deb Lavender, currently the state representative for District 90 in Missouri. This district covers the southwestern part of St. Louis County, Missouri. And if you know anything about the St. Louis region, you probably know the city of Kirkwood, which is at the center of her district. As a member of the Democratic Party, Deb Lavender has represented this area since 2015. This year, she plans to run for the state Senate position, covering Senate District 15, which spans a significantly larger area in the south and western portions of St. Louis County. When she's not busy representing her constituents in the state capital of Jefferson City, Deb Lavender is a healthcare professional and local businesswoman who is part of the Kirkwood community. As a physical therapist and sole owner of an outpatient physical therapy clinic, she has built a reputation on results. She is recognized as a leader in her field and receives referrals from all around the region. Born and raised in New England, she left home to put herself through college at Marquette University in Milwaukee, where she graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Physical Therapy. Soon after graduation, she moved to the St. Louis area and has resided there for over 30 years. As a state representative now in her sixth year, Representative Lavender has sponsored a number of bills on health care, firearms, and finance. Her stated priorities in running for the Senate position include the expansion of Medicaid, protecting women's reproductive freedom, and strengthening our public schools. The Alliance Party After Dark would like to emphasize that the views Representative Lavender expresses are hers based on her experiences and not that of any entity or organization with which she may be affiliated. Representative Deb Lavender, welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark and thank you for joining us this evening. Good evening. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Well, I'm personally thrilled that you're joining us this evening. It's it's good to get the perspective from someone who is actively advocating for constituents at the state capitol and doing so in the age of COVID-19 when it's not necessarily a safe environment out there. It does make it a little bit more challenging. Yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine. So I'd like to frame our conversation this evening by by not talking about you know, specific political issues, um, I'm sure you get plenty of opportunities to talk about that, but so I'd like to talk about um, uh, our current political environment, which seems to be rapidly decomposing at some levels, and I'd like to examine some of the root causes and discuss the ideas that uh, may help increase representation and make for a more perfect union. That sounds like a good agenda for this evening. Okay. Super. So uh, first, regarding your personal experiences in Missouri legislature, um, you know, we see major issues on the national level. Uh, the two major parties seem to be locked into a, a zero-sum game, and, and because of that, we can't seem to get our act together in the face of a national crisis known as COVID-19. So you know, whether or not you wear a face mask has really kind of become a, a political statement um, you know, science be damned. But um, So that, that, that's what uh, polarizing politics has done to us. So anyways, these national political, issue, political issues are, are, are crippling us, but from your perspective, does this quagmire also exist for the Missouri Congress? The quagmire doesn't exist here in the way you're referring to because we have a total control of the Republican Party here in Missouri. So we have what's known as a supermajority in both the House of Representatives and in the Missouri Senate, as well as in the Missouri's governor's mansion. 
So a supermajority is when we have two thirds of the people in the chamber representing one party. And so then with the Republican governor in the mansion, the Republicans really decide what gets passed, when it gets passed, and how it gets passed. Mm-hmm. And where Democrats are, do have the opportunity to offer amendments, and sometimes those amendments are incorporated into the bills. For the most part, every piece of legislation that has gone through this year is uh, uh, approved by from from the governor on down, uh, the Republicans in Jefferson City. Hmm. So as a Democrat, that makes your job somewhat challenging. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of issues that, that line up between between uh, the Democrats and Republicans in Missouri, but if, if there are any issues that don't line up, it's kind of an uphill battle for you then, huh? That is true. And what's probably as frustrating as all of it is the inability to have debate on the House floor on issues that are important to us. It seems as if the more important the issue is, the less time we have to debate it on the House floor. So the House floor is, and just historically, both here in Missouri and in U.S. uh, Congress in D.C., the House is the workhorse. We get a lot of bills done. We get them passed through quickly. We um, stop debate in the chamber so we can move on to the next bill. The Senate is a little bit more of the place where you debate the issues, you talk them out a little bit more. But in the House, quite often, we are cut off from debate. Hmm. And again, it's hmm. as if the more important the topic is, the sooner we get cut off from debate. And that's probably the most frustrating. Yes, we don't get to mold or shape or alter the legislation very often. But then not even being able to talk about important issues is is frustrating at times. Wow. Yeah. How about like on one-on-one situations? I mean, you, you, you can debate things on, on the floor, um, and I guess this, uh, prior to COVID-19, I guess, you know, you, you could get together with people one-on-one. Does that contribute at all in helping you, uh, persuade any of your other colleagues on the other side of the aisle? It does. And especially I've been able to work from the healthcare point of view, especially in the budget on how we can move money from one location to another to try to, I think, better support the community, depending on, um, the aspect of where we spend the healthcare dollars. So yes, off the chamber, in committee, and quite often in offices, there is that opportunity to share ideas. And sometimes we can help formulate or craft some of the policy behind the scenes. Okay. Yeah. So um, I've spent a lot of time on this podcast. This podcast has been running since last October, and I spent a lot of time talking about the system, right? Everybody likes to talk about how the system is broken. Um, and I, I think it's not completely broken, obviously, but there are some aspects of it that are extremely frustrating. And one of the things I'd like to talk about now would be uh, gerrymandering versus true representation, and so I'm, I'm going to do my best to provide both sides of the situation and get your input on, on you know, the situation and possible alternatives. Now, at its core, gerrymandering is designed to consolidate power by drawing district boundaries around high concentrations of people with a single political persuasion. And this has the, uh, the mathematical effect of reducing a large number of people to a minimum number of votes 
And if it's done, um, if it's done effectively, it can make an entire state to appear to be of one political persuasion when, in fact, it's quite possible that the opposite is true. So you know, we don't get true representation with gerrymandering, and yet, on the other end of the coin here, it's not easy to draw these district lines in a way that's fair, uh, because indeed there are areas where, <clears throat> where, where common political views are naturally concentrated. So and what are you going to do, like draw a line down the middle of somebody's house or something? So, so right. I, I guess what I'm getting at is, um, are there any other systems that you've considered that can provide better representation uh, for example, like multi-winner districts or top two primary system or something of that nature? Well, I haven't, I'm learning about those and very intrigued in how they might choose better representation. I do think there's a way to draw a state's districts with better balance than what we have. And it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat state or a Republican state, you probably have districts that have been drawn to perpetuate those who are in charge. I'll just start with Missouri. Trump won the state with 59% um, of the votes mm -hmm. in 2016. So if he got 59% of the vote, which was the highest number of votes that any president had gotten in Missouri ever, so if I worked with 59% of my colleagues on the House floor were Republicans, I'd work with 95 Republican representatives. Mm -hmm. I'd work with 115. Mm -hmm. So you can see that gerrymandering has drawn districts in a way that does favor the Republicans. Mm -hmm. The same happened in Wisconsin. They had a vote and pardon me for not knowing the exacts, but I believe they voted for their governor in their most recent election by 52, 53-ish percent, and yet their legislature is 60% or more Republican. And so you can see how the districts have been crafted to put all of the Democrats in one location versus maybe having equitable districts drawn now, Dan, you're right. You're not always going to have that. I have found in my relatively short time in politics, people gather with like-minded people. Mm -hmm. And you see that in neighborhoods as I walk the district. You see that in groupings of people. You hang out with people that are like-minded. We move in with people that are like-minded. Um, we will redistrict after the census in 2020, mm -hmm. and we'll redraw the districts. And so where people move is um, natural. We, we like to be with people who have similar thoughts. And yet I do think there's a more fair way to draw these districts without looking at how a precinct has voted to then determine where they get drawn, which side of the line they're drawn into. And that's a lot of what's happened, not just in Missouri, but in, in all states across the nation. Yeah. Well, there are some other ideas, though, too. There is, um, let me see, I was talking to uh, Larry Stanley a couple of weeks ago. He's running for one of the uh, Senate districts in the state of Washington. And I was somewhat surprised to find out that Washington, Washington, the state of Washington has uh, what I would consider multi-winner districts where a district line is drawn and you can have one, uh, two, or he says in some cases three 
uh, representatives overlaying that same geographic area, which I find to be kind of interesting. So is I that, find that oh. interesting as well. I'm not as familiar with that one as the ranked choice voting, mm -hmm. but that would be an interesting concept to look at as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's something that uh, fairvote.org. I'm I'm not sure if you're familiar with that uh, with that site at all, but they uh, they advocate for ranked choice voting as well as uh, multi-winner districts. So um, let's turn to campaign financing, and and this is an issue that uh, affects all level of politics. You know, from local dog catcher up to the president. And uh, but if I may confine our discussion to the state of Missouri um, as sort of an illustrative example, the the clean the clean Missouri amendment, which passed in 2018, um, it's it seems to be reloaded for another vote this year in, in a slightly different cloak, but. It attempts to limit public campaign financing to a dollar amount, and it demands transparency in the identification of donors. Now, I think this is a pretty good start, but uh, you're up against something called Citizens United, which was a Supreme Court decision back in 2010. And it essentially, um, inadvertently, I should say, created a big loophole and opens up the concept of dark money, uh, that is being you know, secretive donors that are contributing value to a campaign through an invention known as a super PAC, although not officially coordinating with any of the candidates. So with that background in mind, have you ever considered um, having, say, public campaign financing where, you know, the government uh, essentially sets up funding for a campaign and limits the private donations? I certainly have. I'm of the opinion that we need campaign limits where we have them for individual races. You've introduced the super PAC. There's just also a level of PACs that campaigns can have. And when we limited donations to individual candidates in the state, everybody now has their own PAC. So we can still have more money flow in. It is not to be coordinated. So that means that money that is raised in a PAC that supports me, I can actually help raise money for that PAC I'm not supposed to have any coordination with them on how they spend that money. Mm -hmm. I honor that. I think a lot of my members honor that a lot of candidates do, but you always have to wonder if they all do. Yeah. And that is a way for unlimited dollars can to come in and help every statewide candidate here in Missouri, let alone the super PACs. Um, I was reading a report yesterday. Money is starting to flow into this state from out of state for primary elections. And some of them are coming in from super PACs that we will never know who funded that donation. Mm -hmm. That's where we've attempted several times here in Missouri. Uh, Senator Lauren Arthur from the Kansas City side has sponsored legislation a couple of different years to prevent that from occurring in Missouri, that if anybody donates to a candidate in Missouri, their donors need to be made public. Mm -hmm. That's bit of what got our ex-governor Greitens in trouble is he had significant amount of money that was donated to his campaign that we never knew who it came from. And in the end, I believe that's why he resigned was he did not want to disclose his donors as the court had ordered him to do so. Hmm. And so there is, I think, tremendous potential for um, hidden secret information on who truly is funding these people that that will be elected and serve in the state of Missouri. Yeah. But that's I, I see that as being a huge problem, though, because, um, 
there's the I'm just going to make this argument off the top of my head here, but um, a super PAC, whether or not they coordinate with directly with a campaign or a campaigner or someone running for office, whether or not their coordination is there, they are still contributing value to that campaign. And so, you know, that being the case, it really is um, voting by dollars. I mean, if you look, if you look at um, any any political pundit, you know, on the Sunday morning talk shows or whatever, they they talk about uh, candidates in terms of the dollars that they've raised. And so this, you know, the, the more dollars that they raise, you know, the the idea being that the more dollars that they raise, the more likely they are to win the the election. Um, but they're not looking at super PAC money, I would assume, as well. So there's there's um, a huge amount of money that's not even being talked about. So it uh, I agree with you. That, that seems to be a fundamental issue, I think, with the Citizens yeah. United. Yes. And then what's interesting is if you say you're an organization that cares about an issue that allows you to keep your donors hidden mm-hmm. from public view, and yet, isn't it interesting that the organizations that are interested in an issue come out against a candidate running who doesn't believe with them? And so we take an issue-oriented organization that can raise money secretly, but we come out politically and go against an opponent is mm-hmm. quite often where you see that money being spent. And so just the transition from having an issue-oriented organization to still coming out in a campaign saying, I don't like Deb, she supports public education, we want school choice, it's an issue-oriented, but they're now spending that money politically on a campaign. And so that's an interesting uh, line to cross for me that should negate the ability to keep your donor secret. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that's a that's a interesting issue, and I I'm I'm not really sure you know short of you know unwinding Citizens United somehow by getting the you know the Supreme Court to reverse their decision, which is highly unlikely. Um, equally as unlikely as a constitutional amendment that would that would speak to this. Uh, we're, we're we're kind of stuck, I think, at this point. So, I think you're right, and uh, you know we may. I do think you're right. I think it needs to be a constitutional amendment. And I think there's uh, increasing interest in that across the nation as people realize how much of this dark money is being poured into campaigns. Well said. So right now we have this thing called the the winner take all system of voting. And we touched upon this earlier with, um, with, uh, we talked briefly about ranked choice voting, but in in a winner take all system, um, one of the fears I have is that a certain number of constituents do not get represented. For example, right now in Missouri's legislature, and, and you're very familiar with this, obviously, there's a two to one ratio between Republicans and Democrats, you know, creating the super majority that you talked about earlier. And um, so now, you know, we we the, the politicians who get elected as part of the super majority, um, they. Um, I, I can't speak to them personally. I think some of them are, are fairly conscientious, but <clears throat> for the most part, they don't really have to talk to the people that did not vote for them, even though they are constituents. They do not have to talk to people that are um, that are in a different party. 
So, you know, by, by the fact that somebody could be in a different party, um, they're being disenfranchised. So um, I'd like to explore a little bit more about, you know, what, what we can do here. Uh, we talked briefly about ranked choice voting. Um, and I'd like to dive into that a little bit deeper at this point, because I think ranked choice voting could essentially force politicians to speak to and advocate for everyone. Because in the nature of ranked choice voting, you have to get past a 50% mark in any election. It's not just a plurality, it's a 50% mark. So you have to speak to a lot more people. Uh, and we're seeing ranked choice voting taking off now in states like Maine, Alaska, uh, cities like New York City, I believe San Francisco as well. Um, what's your what's your uh, opinion on ranked choice voting? Well, I do think there's good evidence starting to uh, be presented to us that that is a good way to elect a representative that will represent more of the people of that district. One of the concerns with the extreme of gerrymandering, most of Missouri is decided before any candidate enters the race. If I live in a district that has been gerrymandered 70% Democrat, I know if I'm the only Democrat that enters the race, I will come out of that race the winner in November. And I file in February. If I'm the only Democrat, I know I'll win that election in November. Mm-hmm. If I file and I have an opponent in the primary, I know that whoever wins the election in August here in Missouri or primaries, I know that person will win in November. So then the primary race becomes who is more Democrat than the other. Mm-hmm. Not all vote in a primary situation. So you do have the more party-oriented people that do come out and vote in primaries. So now if I can just speak to enough hardcore Democrats to convince them that I'm the right person to represent them, then I will be most likely to win that primary. And so now you're getting the people that are a little bit more out on the edge, whether it's Democrat or Republican, that are going to win in that primary because they know their district is so gerrymandered. That's all they have to do. In the ranked choice voting, you're right. You need more people to list you first, second, or third. And so now you need to have a message that appeals to more of the people instead of just the select amount of the um, partisan type of people that will vote in a primary. So it is a way to have people who better represent the district be able to win instead of those who just represent their party a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, I that's one of my theories too that you're hitting upon there. It's one of my theories as to how our politics becomes so polarized these days because the competition really is in the primary where uh, you're, I mean, every, everything I've heard uh, reinforces what you just said was uh, only the extreme people or the people that are really entrenched in the party, the, the people who have the most passion about a specific party are going to show up in these primaries. And they're the ones that actually then get to choose uh, because of gerrymandering. They're the only ones that really, in a sense, get to choose the next representative. Yes, yeah. that's right. So what do you think about top two primary? Have you ever looked at that at all? That's that's uh, that I think that California yeah. has it and the state of Washington has it right now. Yes. And I think 
that's another way of still looking at being able to open up the field a little bit more than the current system and so much of the state. So yes, even if the top two are Republicans, you know that you've had to appeal to a larger swath of people. And then I believe that also, Dan, opens up that you don't have a Republican Democrat primary. Everybody votes in the same primary and then it's the top two. So you will have had to ask for and get some Democrat votes if the top two turn out to be Republicans. But it is still a way to have representation better reflect the district because you will have had to get some crossover vote in that election. Yeah. Is that something that you see, um, again, Washington, California has it, is that something that you see possibly happening in Missouri and in the foreseeable future? Well, I'm going to chuckle with you a little bit and say probably not quite yet. We're Mm -hmm. still having trouble agreeing that the COVID time period is a good time to let people vote absentee ballot without a notary. Um, If ever there's a reason to allow people to vote absentee, and we still threw up hurdles for that. So we are still probably a ways from that in Missouri, and it never hurts to start having the conversation. When you start having the conversation, you start introducing new ideas to people, and sooner or later, they'll come around to them. Okay, yeah. Well, there's precedent out there. um, Yeah, Washington and and California are perhaps some of the more liberal states out there, so that it's a little bit easier, I would think, for that type of issue to um, get a lot more attention quickly. But, um, you know, it could be domino effect after a while. Other states look at it and say, hey, why aren't we doing that? That makes more sense. Yes, I agree. So um, I'm, I'm not going to, digging into uh, party politics a little bit more, and I'm not going to ask you to diss the Democratic Party, but I, I do have an observation about about both Republicans and Democratic parties. And I don't know if this is an issue or not, but it seems that um, over a period of time, as things become more polarized, they, they, we have this um, uh, these party platforms that become somewhat driven to the extremes. And they get increasingly rigid over the years as these battle lines between the two parties are drawn. So um, how much leeway are are you personally uh, allowed to deviate from the national platform? Um, And I'll give you an example. It's just something that I'm just thinking about off the top of my head, but uh, Second Amendment issues. Uh, People who are living in like the downtown areas of uh, St. Louis or, you know, Chicago or D.C. or whatever, pick your big metropolitan area. uh, It seems that they would have... uh, perhaps a more restrictive um, perspective on the Second Amendment versus somebody like uh, way out in like, let's say, Lone Jack, Missouri or something like that, where, you know, they, they don't, they're not dealing with the same issues, but they are dealing with the same guns. So, um, but yet you have this, this party platform that seems to be, um, and maybe this is more of a Republican question because I know that they, that they're, they're, a lot of the, politicians are being forced to toe the line on the platform. But anyway, so from your perspective, uh, local politician perspective or state politician perspective, are you expected to toe the line on the the party platform? And what what leeway do you have? No one has ever asked me to toe that line. Mm -hmm. I am familiar with our party's platform, and I have never considered that prior to a vote. Mm. I'm a Democrat because my opinions and my votes probably naturally line up with what the party platform is. 
but I can't tell you I've read the party platform recently. Mm -hmm. So I do not, I've never been asked to vote because I'm a Democrat or to alter my vote to line up with my party. I think what I have seen in, in Missouri is Democrats are more like that cats where you're herding cats and the Republicans do seem to get in line much better than we do. And so there are, I don't, there have been two or three votes this year when my minority leader asked me to consider voting one way and never demanded that. Hmm. And so it was a please consider voting yes because of A, B, C, and D. And there was never a you must vote that way or else there will be consequences. So we have not faced that inside of our party inside of the time period that I've been serving in Missouri. Okay, good. You know, on the on the uh, national level, like the uh, the National House Representatives and, and Senate, they have these what they call the party whips that I guess their main job is to go around and, I guess, whip people into shape or something like that to where, well, you know, we, we refer to our whip as somebody who just does the count. What are the members thinking? How will the members vote on this bill coming up? Um, not very often, but every so often in Missouri, the Democrats have made a difference in a vote. It might be twice a year where the Republicans are actually split on something. The more hardcore um, idealistic Republicans versus what I would call the, the general uh, Republican. And so sometimes the Democrat votes have, have been important in that uh, vote count. So the whip really just gives my minority leader an opportunity to know how her members are thinking about an issue and how they're gonna uh, be voting. So uh, again, maybe the minority leader, when she comes and says, please consider voting yes on this bill for ABCD, the minority whip can help her with that, with different members to see where people are at and if they're open to a conversation about their vote. Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's good news for me personally. Anyways, I, I like hearing that. Um, we're getting toward the end of the interview here, but I, I want to sort of just open up uh, to some general ideas. Um, we have had what we call a duopoly in this country that's been here for kind of really sort of from, from the beginning, really, at least since the time of Lincoln, it's been Democrats and Democrats and Republicans. And, um, there seems to be you know, some uh, difficulty getting multiple or getting a multiple party system together in this country. We, we do have like the Reform Party once in a while comes up, the Libertarians, the Greens and so on. Um, you know, the U.S., I've been told by previous uh, podcast guests here that the U.S. is the only democratic nation that sustains a duopoly. Um, just like to get some of your thoughts about that is it, would it make more sense to open up and have, uh, leg, uh, not legitimate, but, um, significant, uh, third parties in this country or third, fourth parties, whatever, multi-parties, I should say. Uh, I think it would. And yet I'm not sure what prevents that from happening. Uh, the, a, a third party has not really ever gotten a toehold in the two party system. That may be what we're trying to do with ranked choice voting with the top two that people are at least attempting to have better representation. I don't have the history or just even really the knowledge of why that hasn't happened in this nation. It certainly seems as if we have more than just two points of view. So it does seem as if that would be an appropriate um, way to bring in a third or a fourth party to have people better represented. 
Yeah. Yeah, there's um, an eye-opener for me was um, a book that was written by Teresa Amato. I don't know if you're familiar with her at all, but she was the um, uh, presidential campaign, uh, um, uh, was that the um, campaign coordinator? No, what do they call this? Anyway, she she ran the campaign for Ralph Nader in in their uh, 2000 and 2004 elections. And she wrote this book called The Myth of Voter Choice and the Two-Party Tyranny. And it was a real eye-opener for me because I, I read this book and, and, and uh, it just, it floored me how the, the barriers that uh, exist for third parties in this country. Um, now, granted that, you know, she was taking on a, a pretty big task and running right up there for the president, you know, getting Ralph Nader to run for president, as opposed right. to like working at the local level, but at the national level, um, yeah, there, there's quite a few barriers. And one of the barriers that I'm aware of is that Every state has their own um, election uh, ballot access laws, and um, Missouri is, from my experience, is is not that restrictive. In my opinion, it uh, they they do require uh, a petition with ten thousand signatures that must be verified, and and uh, and pages of signatures have to be notarized. <clears throat> so there is a bit of a barrier there, but. It's just a matter of getting signature gatherers out there to get the legitimate signatures. And uh, in Missouri, anyways, the Libertarian Party and, and I believe the Green Party uh, still have ballot access for this uh, for 2020 this year. So uh, so Missouri, I don't think is that that difficult, um, but other states make it uh, pretty difficult. There's some states that are easier, but other states make it difficult. But the bottom line is to become a legitimate a nationwide third party. Um, it's a it's a it's a war that you have to fight on on 50 different fronts, one for each state. So, Well, and that's interesting. I've always only run for state representative, and now my current um, campaign is running for state senate. So I've never thought of that nationally. Um, that's a fabulous point that if the parties are making it difficult for people to get on a ballot, I mean, I show up in February uh, this year. Well, every year it's been in the Secretary of State's building. I pay, I think it's $150, $100 to my party and $50 for filing fee, and I get to file to run for office. And it certainly occurs to me that that's what the process should be everywhere. Um, The presidential situation, I'm not sure about U.S. Senate, how those might be different, but certainly there needs to be better equity. Um, If there's something in Missouri law and somebody wants to approach me on how and what needs to be altered with that, if I'm successful in November, I'm happy to look at if Missouri uh, includes additional hurdles or additional burdens for a third party person to be on our ballot. I'm happy to look at that. Okay. well, I may take you up on that offer um, um, because I would I would certainly love to have that conversation with you. yeah, it's uh, well. The reason why it was easy for you from Democrats and Republicans is that uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, rules that are written to Missouri ballot access laws are that if you have a statewide uh, office, that um, or if you have somebody running for a statewide office, and if they get more than two percent of the vote, um, then their party is automatically um, yeah. sanctioned for the next two elections, two elections being in two-year cycles, so maybe four years, basically. Um, so just to get started, you know, if you're a political party that nobody knows about, you have to do that, uh, overcome that barrier. 
And like I say, oh, go ahead. That can be a big barrier. Yeah, it can be. I, I think in Missouri, it's not that bad. This year, um, it's difficult because of COVID-19. Um, it's yeah. just, uh, there's Governor Phil Murphy out in New Jersey, I think, that it's, that's allowing electronic signatures. Um, I know that our governor here in Missouri has been approached, but um, it's it's kind of a no-go situation. It's just not going to happen. So um, yeah. it's really, uh, this year is especially difficult for these parties to do it. But uh, yeah. in, in a normal year, it's just a matter of getting the signature gathers and getting out there and doing it. Um, so um, we're at the end of our interview here, but I, I want to get to this point, which I call the call to action. It's your opportunity to tell everybody a little bit about uh, about yourself and about your website and where people can go to get more information and um, and um, perhaps uh, make donations or whatever. Well, thank you. I'm in my third term as a state rep, and this year we realized there was an opportunity to um, take a Senate seat away from a Republican. He's a member of the conservative caucus. So there really is a wide difference on our positions for most of the issues that face our state right now, whether it's budgetary issues, uh, whether it's schools, whether it's a woman's choice, whether it's Medicaid expansion, whether it's common sense gun legislation. So we truly are different on the issues and I feel it's a very good opportunity for people in this district to make a, a, a different choice this year in November. My website is Lavender for State Senate. There's an awful lot up there that people can find out about me. We've been uh, trying to, inside of the COVID situation, reach voters. We actually are standing on corners with just large signs that say Deb Lavender's running for State Senate. We have many volunteers that are coming out and supporting with that. I think that gets name recognition out. And then last night I was in a neighborhood and I walked more in the middle of the street, sidewalks, <laughs> and I just see if you're outside. If you're outside, I engage in conversations. I don't have a lit piece to hand to you, a piece of literature, uh, but just mostly engaging people in conversations outside. Uh, most people understand I, I have a mask with me uh, if I if we do get too close, but mostly we try to maintain the distance and being outside. I feel we're doing this very safely, but it's an interesting time to be able to campaign and we're working on doing it safely for all people around us. And we're happy to have volunteers. And, and as we've discussed money already, uh, we are happy to take donations. What is not... I'm, I'm going to use the word necessary in campaigns, is telling people who you are. And in today's world, that takes money. Mm -hmm. Whether I'm going to attempt to mail you a mail piece in the door, whether I'm going to try to get on radio to tell you that, whether I'm going to try to get on streaming to tell you who I am and why I'd like to represent you, all of that does take money. Um, I'm not sure Facebook is, is running into some hurdles right now, I think very appropriately. And we'll decide if we're going to continue to use Facebook as an advertising vehicle. It is a way to get just gentle messages out to the community that you're in. So that's why campaigns are important. Uh, I'm sorry, are expensive. Mm -hmm. And think about how you're going to reach 60,000 people and ask them to vote for you. Yeah. We're happy to have the support of, of many people. Uh, I think the word grassroots is overemphasized, but we have a significant number of people that are helping us. And I especially enjoy the people who say, well, Deb, I can't give very much. And, and I am always grateful and say it all adds up. Thank you very much. 
And so everything from a dollar donation, the campaign limit right now is $2,559, Dan, mm-hmm. a number. But we span the range and uh, very grateful for the people who are supporting this campaign. Thank you for the opportunity to speak about that. Wonderful. Yeah, the, uh, now the website is Lavender for State Senate. Uh, that's L-A-V-E-N-D-E-R and for, F-O-R, not the number four. So LavenderForStateSenate.com. No underscores, no hyphens or anything like that. Wonderful. Correct. Um, well, thank you for uh, for joining us. Um, and uh, just for everybody here, we've been talking with uh, Democratic Representative Deb Lavender, currently the state representative for District 90 in the Missouri State House. And she will be running for District 15 in the Missouri Senate this year. So, Representative uh, Deb Lavender, thank you for spending time with us this evening. Dan, thank you. I hope everybody enjoys the rest of their night. And I appreciate, again, the opportunity to be with you. It was a fun interview. Wonderful. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so, so that you don't miss any new episodes. Each week, we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Or just Google the Alliance Party After Dark, and you'll find it all over the place. Also, keep in mind that the podcast now has a Twitter page at Alliance On Air. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of the Alliance Party, a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website at theallianceparty.com. Drop in and see what we're all about and get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.